Good morning. My name is Lauren May, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge. Um, maybe you're joining us this morning. Maybe you're joining us later in the week, but we are glad you're here. Um, I'm going to share as part of our Looking Forward series, uh, where we've been looking at the book of Philippians and how looking forward to our future hope can influence our experience, our hope in the present moment. So we're going to look at Philippians 3, 17 through 4, 3 today. So I'm going to read the whole passage to you, and then we'll go deeper uh, throughout this time. So it says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Beloved, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we're going to talk about the whole passage, but I want to pull out a couple of verses because we often do this. We pull a couple of verses out of context, but when we do that, it can often lead to misconceptions. And this, these two verses lead to a huge misconception about Christianity. And that's uh, the a surface reading of Philippians 3, 19 through 20. So it says there, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we just read that and we, and we don't read anything else, it can lead to the assumption that we should be against everything earthly, everything on earth, and open ourselves up only to the hope of a future eternity up in the sky. So that would make finding home, uh, building a life here irrelevant. Um, as the wise Yoda once said, uh, this perspective leads to the belief that luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. But that's not the story that we hear in the Bible, that what happens here doesn't matter or, or, or nothing on earth matters, only what matters is what we're going to eventually. We have to consider the rest of the Bible and we have to consider the rest of this passage. And what we see in the Bible and in this part of Philippians is a longing for the peace of a loving home being met through nearness to God and the love of a supportive community. So, okay. Let's look at the Bible, right? God created the heavens and the earth and he looked at it and he said, it's good. And humans lived in perfect communion with each other and with God. But then if you've been around the church for a while, you know the story. That perfect communion was broken. And then the rest of the Bible is trying to get back to that communion with God and that communion with each other. So you see the people wandering in the wilderness, and then you see them establishing a home, uh, but then losing part of that home and having to reestablish it. 
um, the nation of Israel getting it together and, and being awesome and then falling apart. Um, setting up new Edens in high places, um, getting into in arguments each, among each other, getting close to creating that new communion with each other and God, but never getting close enough until eventually the Israelites are thrown into exile and there's silence for years. And then all of a sudden there's a voice crying out in the wilderness, uh, proclaiming, make yourself right with the Lord. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus, the God of the universe, comes and makes his home with us. And, and then he spends his time in the New Testament helping us get to know God better and helping us get, uh, make a home with others who are unlike us. And then the rest of the Bible is a series of letters. And in these letters, we hear friends updating each other, asking each other for help, um, finding out what's going on, and trying to make sense of how to get along. So the Bible spends very little of its time talking about heaven and a whole lot of time talking about how we can get close to God and how we can get along with each other here on earth. So Paul, in, back in Philippians, he encourages us to know that our citizenship is in heaven uh, but, and know that we can be near to God and that also that our citizenship is with each other. Our home is with each other. In the middle of the book of Philippians, there's this song of praise that celebrates Christ. And the whole book of Philippians kind of revolves around it. So I want to read it to you. It's in Philippians 2, 6 through 9. And it says, describing Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So in the center of Philippians is exalted Jesus, full citizen of heaven. And then he lowers himself and he becomes like us. And because he does that, because he fully humbled himself, he's then exalted and made the rule, ruler over heaven and earth. So why? Why does he do that? Let's think about uh, verses 19 through 20 again. <laughs> It says their end is destruction. Sorry, the cat wanted to hear about it. Um, so let me, yeah, so Philippians 3, 9 to 20. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 19 is describing our default setting, the lowest level on the hierarchy of needs, right? Their God is their belly. We're hungry and we spend our lives trying to make sure our bellies are full. Uh, but the, their minds are set on earthly things. Uh, so survival, rest. You know, this, is, this is the default for humans. And Jesus willingly entered into that. So he could be with us. He took on humanity uh, by way of an unwed, poor mother living in a backwater town. So he became humble and became a man of the flesh, and then he became renewed so that we might follow him into that. So again, you're seeing Jesus exalted, 
low, becoming lowly and then exalted again. And when he became lowly, he meets with us and he pulls us up along with him. So we can come behind him as citizens of heaven as well. So the people that Paul was writing this, this letter to understood the implications of citizenship. Okay, so when you when you see the book of or when you read the book of Acts, um, you hear a lot of times local authorities getting really nervous when they find out that Paul is a Roman citizen, and that's because Roman citizens had some special privileges, even if they didn't live in Rome. And basically the big one is that Roman citizens could appeal to Roman authority. So the local magistrate couldn't rule fully on an issue dealing with a Roman citizen. And that's why Paul appeals to Rome. And that's, and that's the idea of citizenship there. And then Philippi in particular, citizenship was a big deal um, because Philippi was a retirement community for Roman soldiers. So there was a lot of pride in being a Roman. And so Paul telling the, the followers of Jesus to pledge citizenship to heaven and saying that Jesus was king, not Rome, not Caesar, was a radical political statement. And they would have understood exactly what he was saying because Roman citizens appealed to Roman authority. But now Paul encourages his friends to consider the kingdom of God their home and believe and, and act as if that's their citizenship. And so that had real practical implications for the believers. The, the hope of home and safety and comfort and, and that feeling of belonging believers wanted to have isn't one that we're told to ignore. But I think if, if all we had was that promise of home at some point, that our citizenship is in heaven at some point, I don't think that would be enough. Um, our experience with finding home and community throughout our lives, I'm sure has failed many of us. You know, I'm so grateful. I just feel like I've built really amazing communities of friends that I've built over time and in different seasons of my life. But I've also experienced deep seasons of loneliness in between when I've moved to a new place or others have moved away. And I also think the intense isolation that we've experienced in the past six months proves to all of us that just being told that we're welcome or we're part of something bigger, even if that something bigger is citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, isn't necessarily enough. This awareness can only sink into our hearts when it becomes an experienced reality. The citizenship that Paul reminds the Philippians of then is not, you know, eventually we're leaving here, we're heading to the sky. But this is an active citizenship here on earth that supersedes national or social boundaries. So let's look at Philippians 3, 20 to 21. Let's move on in the passage. It says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So when he comes, he comes to restore, not just to leave behind this crude matter. So to rephrase Yoda a little bit, luminous beings are we, made by God to be good, but corrupted into crude matter by the decay of this world and the destruction of our own choices. 
renewed and made luminous again, not just by good vibes or hard work, but by the power of the cross. So in him, near to him, we get closer to home as we become more like him and experience the joy of his presence. So we find hope here and now of full transformation to come and the transforming work that he does day to day in our lives. And we find that when we draw near to him. It's the joy of being a part of this community of believers is that we have the joy of Jesus, which that in itself is enough. But then Paul goes on. In Philippians 4, 1 to 3, he says this. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's citizenship in heaven doesn't lead him to turn his gaze back to the sky and ignore everything around him, but it, it causes him to, to look deeply into those around him. I love how he describes his friends, right? He says, my joy and crown, my beloved, true companions, fellow workers. What a great way to greet your friends. And then even reflecting on those that he would consider an enemy, a little earlier in verse, verse 18, he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So, Paul doesn't scorn them, right? He says, I tell you, even with tears, he's mourning, he's crying for those who are, who have, who are not a part of the loving community. And, and he also encourages everyone to help Euodia and Syndicate in the work that they've been doing for the Lord. Okay, so again, it says, um, he says, entreat them, I entreat them to, to agree in the Lord. So, we find ourselves not just in our nearness to God, but in the fellowship with, of other believers when we deeply care about them and then we work towards the, a common goal of knowing and shoving, showing the love of Christ. So again, with the paper that Paul has left, he's encouraging reconciliation and to move towards the work of the gospel. So what I think is interesting is that Paul doesn't address their disagreement. Um, he doesn't pass judgment to either side. Instead, instead, he doesn't tell them to agree about whatever they're disagreeing about. He challenges them to agree to be of the same mind in the Lord. So unity in Christ, even in disagreement. So I think we missed something here if we think that the goal is for everyone to make sure these leaders in the church start getting along. It's not about ladies get along, right? He encourages them to get back to the work and not just them, but everyone to get back to the work of spreading the love of Jesus. And he says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So they, the work they have to do supersedes their disagreement. And the ancient church was familiar with deep social divisions. This was a group of people who had never socially interacted with each other before. And now they're living in close knit community. And I think we as a church have felt deeply felt the divisions in our modern world. And what are we called to do? Right? I, I don't think we're called to agreement or unity on every issue. 
all of us are deeply influenced by our circumstances, our experiences, our education, and have di different perspectives on, on the way things that should, should be done. And, and I don't think we're gonna see unified agreement on every issue facing our community. And that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't try to figure those things out. We shouldn't try to discern what the right thing to do is. But in that discernment and in that disagreement, we are still called to move forward with unity in our consideration and love for each other and the work of God, um, the work that God has for us to serve others and serve and love e each other, and especially those in need. And when we can practice this, our community becomes our home. Um, I experienced powerful community earlier this year. And okay, so I can be a little crazy. Um, sometimes I do like thought experiments with myself and I'm like, do I really trust God? Like, do I really trust God? And I do this thought experiment where I think through, okay, what would it be like if I lost everything? Like literally everything. I don't know if anyone else says that, I don't know. But anyway, we were talking about this at VC one night and I was, I was explaining this thought experiment and I was saying that, like, I don't know. Like, if I lost everything, I don't know if I would be a good Christian anymore. I don't know if I would fully trust God to get me through. And that was kind of how I left it. But it was funny because we started walking home and we realized that Derek didn't have his car keys. Now we were at our, like near our apartment, so we were able to get home, but we were tearing up the apartment looking for the car keys. And Jeremy and Kim, this was pre-COVID, were over and they were trying to help us find the keys or whatever, and we're like, we really cannot find the keys. And we're trying to decide, you know, whose work is more important, who gets to go to work tomorrow, who stays home tomorrow, how are we gonna manage this? And Jeremy and Kim are kind of talking over the side. and. They come and they tell us, hey, like Jeremy's going out of town for the week. Take our car. And it was just so cool because it was just like such a simple way to serve us um, and know that the community supported us. And so I was as I was we were picking up the car and I was thinking about the earlier conversation that I had where it was like, I don't I don't know what I'd do if I lost everything. I don't know if I could trust God. And I realized what I, what I would do is I would fall back on y'all. I would fall back on my friends. I would fall back on my church community. And there's like no doubt in my mind that you guys would take care of me. I have no doubt. And I love that we are a people who's willing to create a home for others. You know, the reality is, is that the idea of home is not always a happy one for people. Um, for some of us, it is, right? For some of us, it's a place where despite the normal mistakes of being human, um, we could feel loved and appreciated at home. Um, I could go and have a huge meal and eat way too much and no one would comment on it and no one would judge me. But that's not the experience that everyone has had. For many, the home is not a place of rest and comfort. And so this invitation, this description of nearness to God and a loving community of other believers, um, what we can be as a body has got to be the most winsome thing in, a, in the world. You know, Robert Frost wrote a poem about a couple deciding what home is. And uh, the, the husband said, home is the place where when you have to go there, 
they have to take you in. And then the wife, she says, I should have called it something you haven't to deserve. And I think in both of these, we hear what Christ has to offer and what it looks like when we as the church bring the kingdom here. God took us in, um, no questions asked, and gave us what we didn't deserve. And that's the inheritance that we have. That's where we're heading and that's who we can be now. So when we know that our citizenship is past this present moment, we can be a people who, who do that for others too. Let's talk about some practical tips. Okay, so practical tip number one. Um, I'm gonna encourage you guys to journal what home means to you. So what does the ideal home look like? And then once you've written those things down, I want you to read Psalm 84. Okay, so Psalm 84 is uh, about uh, describing the courts of the Lord. So like better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere if you're into old school uh, church, church music. And, and as you make that list and then read Psalm 84, I want you to think about what connections you see and then what differences you see. So when I did this, I was actually surprised that my idea of home was actually kind of different than, than what, uh, what it looks like to be in the presence of God and in the, in the courts of God. And then when you see those connections and differences and when you feel that stirring of, yeah, I want that, ask God to show up as home for you this week in that way. And then practical tip number two, uh, reach out to a friend or a community that you haven't reached out to in a while. So I, I know we're in trying times. And so this doesn't look like knocking on someone's door without a mask and be like, hey, let's hang out, right? We wanna respect the boundaries and concerns of others, right? So, so hang out in a way that makes that friend or that community feel, feel safe. And, and you know, I know a, for a lot of times that means Zoom, right? And I know Zoom fatigue is so real, but our friends are worth it. They're worth that fatigue.